Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. This year's Super Bowl advertising was full of purpose and creativity in a year of challenges and constraints for brands and the NFL. On this very special episode of the CMO Podcast, I am unpacking this year's big event with some of the biggest advertisers and partners. There will be three sections to this podcast. First, we will talk with Julie Haddon, the SVP of Global Brand and Consumer Marketing for the NFL. We'll talk about what this year has been like inside the league and her take on Super Bowl Sunday. Second, we will talk with the team behind the most unusual Super Bowl ad, the Inspiration 4 spot. Inspiration 4 is the first all-civilian space mission with a goal to raise $200 million for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. We will be speaking with the founder of Shift 4 Payments Company, Jared Isaacman, who is the commander of the mission, and Rick Shadiak, the CEO of ALSAC, the fundraising and awareness organization for St. Jude's. Last, we will have a rousing roundtable with some of the most innovative brand advertisers in the 2021 Super Bowl. To get us going, this is my conversation with the NFL's Julie Haddon. Julie, are you with us tonight? I am. Beautiful. I am. I am here and I am not a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome, Julie, to this special edition of the CMO podcast and welcome, everyone. You must be exhausted. I can only imagine. But before you respond to that, I just want to tell you that congratulations on this season and on the day that that ended the season. I watched it with my ICU daughter, nurse, and it was an uplifting day. It was a feel-good day. We watched all the pregame. So well done. I want to know, we want to know, how did you spend that day? Well, you know, there's two things I do every, this is, I think, my seventh Super Bowl or my sixth one. And um, there's two things I do every Super Bowl. The first one is I go in like a fan. I mean, we've had four or five rehearsals by the time it's Sunday. Um, We've been through you know, a lot of technical checks and crossing the I's and so forth, dotting the T's. We've seen edits, you know, 30, 40 different versions of edits of things that we're going to run. So Sunday to me is always a day of just being about being a fan. And I really enjoyed that moment because I get to walk around. I get to see, you know, the take it in the spectacle of it and just look at the tailgating, uh, the activities that lead up to it, the fan avidity. Um, 
you know, enjoy incredible entertainment, our, our Pepsi halftime show, our special um, visitors this year with our attendees that were 7,500 healthcare workers, vaccinated healthcare workers, um, get to celebrate this culmination of what has been a profoundly intense, it's the only way I could say it, um, challenge and, uh, and, and a struggle to get to where we've been. And uh, our tagline for the season was called, It Takes All of Us. And, um, it, and it's the red thread that ran through everything we did. And so, you know, I think it did simply take all of us. So I think part one, Jim, is going through the experience of, uh, of being a fan. And then part two is every year I also go home and then I'm a marketer and I look at watch every single commercial, every single spot, because when you're there in the game, you don't get a chance to see everything. So uh, it was it was uh, how I spent the day was a bit a bit of nerves and a bit of wonder and excitement like I think most people have. Well, let me ask you, what was your favorite ad? And maybe this is the same. And which ad touched you the most? Well, uh, there were so many good ones. I, I think every year I, I love to learn, too, and um, see some of the experimental things that are happening. And, you know, uh, oddball, smart, in, uh, emotional, the whole spectrum. I think this year, obviously, has been a lot of exciting, uh, uh, you know, changes in how we've approached the Super Bowl and the advertising around it. So at a quick glance, I mean, you mentioned two of them just now. I did. This is no, no um, prop product placement for you, Jim, but I did love the Tide one. I thought I'm a big Seinfeld fan, so I thought that was funny. thought that was really clever. Um, I think um, the Paramount Plus was really yeah. interesting how it was a campaign, and you really get to see the depth and breadth of all the Viacom and CBS family. I like the 3D Flat Matthew. I thought that was clever. I mean, so much of them. Rocket Mortgage was amazing. The Indeed Spot surprised me because, you know, something that would be more of what is a utility, how they put the lens of job searching in the middle of a pandemic. I just really uh, thought so much of them were good. And even some of the piece, pieces of innovation, some of the brands that did not participate in what they did beforehand and what you saw from AB or Visa. So I, I just said, but I'm partial. I'd say if there was one, I did love the Tide Spot. I thought that was really funny. And I watched it and I have teenage uh, teenage boys, so I could really relate to that. My friends at PNG will be very happy. Yes. So, so, so listen, this season was just such a display of agility and optimism and perseverance. So I'd like you to share with our listeners, you know, what was your major personal leadership lesson of this past year? You've been seven years with the NFL and two and a half as a head marketer. Yeah. So speak personally about what you learned about leadership this year. Well, you know, I mean, I think we've all had to learn a lot about leadership this year. And the part that probably would what I would say at least spoke to me the most was that resilience is a core value of the NFL. We have teamwork, resilience, uh, innovation. But I think about this being the year of the art of the pivot, as everybody has had to think about with their brand. But I'd say big leadership for me was, you know, what I liked is being able to be home with the team and learn about them. We see, you know, the background here I am. I, I, I see I've got the Chicago Cubs uh, and Michael Jordan and uh, Walter Payton right behind me here. I mean, Chicago yep. Times, like you see different pieces of people's lives, their kids, their struggles. So I think the big lesson for me was humanity first. And, and I think that we always have kind of practiced that, but we've been forced to really say, let's get to know our coworkers more and approach things more from a standpoint of not just the what we do the work and the how, but the who is behind it. Yeah, well, we're gonna launch into a really great celebration, but one last question. Do you feel that brand NFL is stronger than this time year ago with fans, players, partners? 
I do. I do. You know, we've seen a lot of growth in our core segments, Jim, and particularly around women, Latinx youth. Um, our buzz score metric was higher. Last year, we finished the season just before the pandemic hit with an all-time high of 180 million fans. And it was particularly driven by the, those groups. So I think a lot of our success with our young fans and our female fans is how we leaned into and in, in our Latinx uh, Gen Z audiences in particular. And we continue to be committed to platforms like TikTok and Snapchat and providing younger um, alternative ways to enjoy the game. I saw Pam Kaufman uh, wrote a pop, a, a props earlier, but I mean, one great example was uh, the Nickelodeon uh, CBS game we did during wildcard weekend. So we're able to try a bunch of new things. The virtual draft was another example of something that we had to, um, you know, kind of look at earlier in the spring of how we we're going to do the, the draft, not in Vegas, but all virtual. So I think we continue to grow our brand. We'll see how our uh, officially in March, how the growth numbers look, but I think we had a positive season. Yeah. Well, Julie, congratulations on the season. Thanks for bringing all this joy to us uh, th this season. I, I watch more NFL this year than I have since, uh, since I was a teenager. So thank, thank you for you. that. Thank you for setting the stage for this great Super Bowl after party and discussion. All the best and get some rest. Thank you. And thanks to so many of you that are on this call and um, part participating. The work was stellar. And uh, I really do think it took all of us. Thanks, Julie. I think it was a big year of creativity. Well, Dawn Hudson is on with us, and Julie and I were speaking earlier today about the legacy Dawn has left with the NFL, and Julie is continuing it. So I thought it might be a nice little moment, uh, Dawn, to say hello to everyone and how you feel about the state of the NFL now. You started so much when you were CMO on uh, fan centricity and inclusion and, and get, letting the players be themselves. And, and I, can, I can see it all, activate it as the years go by and Julie continues it. So Dawn, hello, maybe say a word about hey, how Jim. you feel about Brand NFL and, uh, and, and how it was handing it off to Julie a few years ago. Well, you know, the thing about the NFL, as you know, Jim, is it's such a strong brand. It's owned by so many. You lead it for a while and then it trans, you know, goes to the next generation. But in general, it's a longer journey that a lot of people are, are um, contributing to. And, and I do believe there's so much more about letting the players, which for young people in particular is so much the sport and why they follow it. But also I think during this COVID time has been very positive for the NFL. They've been able to deliver a consistent entertainment product that people have sort of yearn for, remind some of the way things used to be. They've brought some of the excitement even of a big event uh, to the Super Bowl, even though it couldn't be a huge event the way they usually do it. So I think the brand's in, in you know, the brand is in good stead. I, I think the business continues to be challenged because its core revenue sources come from uh, selling box seats uh, and, and television rights, which skew older. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, it's still going to be a challenge, but I think the, uh, the brand and the capable hands of Julie and others continues to, uh, to march onward positively. And by the way, we might add that Jim was, you know, very instrumental to helping uh, provide a, a third party perspective and, and uh, direction and help uh, with where we wanted to take it. That was one of the great experiences of my career working with you on that, Dawn. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. 
And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, we're going to transition now into a behind-the-scenes look. And I think the most unexpected and the most beguiling ad of the big game, and that is Inspiration4, the first all-civilian mission to space. And we have with us the commander of the mission and the founder of Shift4 Payments, Jared Isaacman. Welcome, Jared. You are a Pennsylvanian. I am too. Proud to be with you. I have to ask you to start. What was your favorite ad of this 2021 Super Bowl? Ooh, um, I am uh, obviously I have a little bit of a bias in the whole thing, but I, I have I think the the Toyota commercial was mm. I, I think one of the most powerful ones um, that I, I've, I've ever seen. Are you an Eagles fan, Jared? I am. Yeah, tough year. I am too. It's a tough year. Yeah. It's always next year. And we, we've gotten used to that for a while. There's the, yeah. the Super Bowl victory still in recent memory. I'm good. Yeah, super. Now, the goal of this mission is to raise $200 million for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And we have Rick Shadiak with us. He is the CEO of Alsac, the fundraising and awareness organization for St. Jude. Rick, please join us. And I want you to say which ad touched your heart this year. Wow. So thank you, Jim. It's great to be here and it's great to see everyone. Uh, look, I, I love I loved the Toyota ad too. I, I'm not just saying that because Jared said that, but it, it, it resonated with me as, as an you know, the CEO of an organization that deals with kids that, that, that uh, obviously have a catastrophic disease. But I also thought the lemons one, I, I guess, uh, the, you know, the <laughs> raining lemons, I thought that yep. was kind of cool, you know, because it was 2020 was a lemon of a year, right? It was a lemon of a year. So that was kind of fun. And we have the chairman of VaynerX, Gary Vaynerchuk, my friend, Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary, I'm not going to ask you your, about your favorite ad because I know what the answer will be. I just want to get your big macro takeaway from the Super Bowl at large this year? Uh, my biggest takeaway, hi everybody. I, what I said in the chat is true. This is an absurd group. Like the, we, we need to figure out how to do this like often because this is just so powerful and I see some of the thumbs up and, and reaction. So thank you for all being here. This is really neat. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this year's Super Bowl if I'm being transparent, uh, my friend, is that I didn't realize how much PTSD I had in Tom Brady doing well as a football player. So I came into the Super Bowl as a real Jets fan and thinking I didn't actually care. As in fact, I was getting excited about Tampa winning because I wanted to create this narrative that Bill Belichick is the most overrated coach of all time. So I had this whole dream in my mind, Jim, and I was really feeling good. But then something quite strange started happening. As Tom was winning, these bad feelings started coming into my mind and I got angry and I was really rooting for the Chiefs. And so I, I got upset. And so that was my biggest takeaway, if I'm being honest, that I didn't realize how much damage psychology-wise I had been given through those 20 years of Jets fandom with Tom. And so that triggered me. And so I'm upset. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of buzz about the game not being competitive and all that. I thought it was an interesting game because I, I thought the Chiefs would route them going in. So to me, yeah, it was, a, real, it was I, I, a rug pull offensive lines are very underrated if you're just casual yep. about it. And they really got affected by that. And that played out, I think as far as um, Super Bowl, you know, I, I really like what Mountain Dew did with me and Reddit did, I, you know, what, what, you know, I see Sass in here, what we did mm -hmm. with 
you know, Scott's Miracle Row with our spot. We think functionality matters. You know, we think that there's more to be done than just brand. And if, and I don't think it's an or, I don't, you know, thing. And so I, I liked that they, that Mountain Dew was trying to make you, I mean, there are people that probably watch that spot 67 times, you know, and, and things of that nature. And I'd like to see more innovation in the future. I mean, there's some great spots. I also really liked uh, the Will Ferrell spot because for GM, what I, what I liked about that from my standpoint was the psychology of grabbing the attention in the first three, four seconds. I thought creatively he did that. And I understood what they were trying to get across. I agree with the Toyota spot, which has gotten a lot of love in this call. So I, I enjoyed it. It was fun to kind of watch that, but I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in my own head of like, there needs to be more functionality. Because, you know, I see uh, somebody, Sharon said, M&M's made me laugh. I like the M&M spot, right? My big thing is, you know, there's awareness and a lot of these brands already have it. Then there's relevance. Do you like, if you're a Seinfeld fan, do you consider it now more, right? And then there's just like this third tier that I'd like to see um, of like starting to debate the functional Super Bowl spot where things can happen or you can get more out of it. And I've been thinking a lot about that. Yeah. Jared, I want to bring you back into the conversation and get back a little bit to Inspiration4 and not just your ad, but the whole initiative. Jared, I'd love you to give us the backstory on the origin of this initiative, its name, its objective, and the, re- and the ad that resulted from it that you, that you put in the Super Bowl. Sure. Well, first, I mean, it all came together incredibly fast. I mean, really like two and a half months ago. And um, I had been banging on the door for a very long time of SpaceX and the commercial space exploration community. Um, just saying, hey, you know, whenever, whenever you guys are ready, please keep me on the list. Uh, I didn't expect it to uh, happen so fast. I certainly didn't expect to have the opportunity to lead, you know, the first um, civilian mission to space. And like the moment that uh, set in, which was like nearly instantaneous, that this is going to be a first, then you just had to be like really thoughtful about every element to it. Like one, it's got to serve like a far greater purpose than just simply you know, going up into space and coming back. Um, and I think that's reflected in the inspiration for name that we are trying to inspire people as to what's possible, you know, beyond our world, but most importantly, what can be accomplished here on earth, which, which leads you to, to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Um, and again, this, this all came together really fast because, you know, there's not a lot of time for the, the good idea machine to get cranking, um, you know, in the window we had to work with. Like the plan was really set from, from day one and then it was execute. Like we're going to, we're going to have the biggest fundraising effort, um, you know, in, in St. Jude's history as part of this. Um, and we're going to be really thoughtful about the crew selection process and what they represent, because we, we don't want this to look like a, you know, a bunch of rich white guys going up into space. We want every individual person uh, to be inspiring in their own right um, as individuals. Uh, so, you know, having a crew member that represents the mission spirit of, of hope, um, which, you know, is a, is a St. Jude, um, you know, for, uh, childhood cancer survivor who's since, um, you know, become a healthcare professional at St. Jude, having someone who represents the mission spirit of generosity, just an everyday person making a donation to an incredibly important cause that gets a chance to go to space. And then, you know, an entrepreneur that will have an opportunity to elevate their business to the stars. So all of this came together really fast. And then we just spent the last, you know, two and a half months kind of uh, sprinting towards um, execution. And for our listeners, you're a serious pilot yourself. Of course, that's an assumption. And you're also a fabulous entrepreneur. I'm going to come back to your team in a minute that you choose to go up in space with you in this first civilian mission. Rick, I want to bring you in from from St. Jude. Rick, you watch over 
what I think is America's favorite institution, St. Jude's. And you have such an incredible amount of partnerships with the great brands of the world, right? The NFL, Delta, Target, Amazon, dozens and dozens of others. But this is perhaps the most groundbreaking. So could you walk us through when, from when you first met Jared, how did it, this get to where it is, where you're on the Super Bowl and choosing a crew in 19 days? Wow. Uh, so Jared, I think it was like 50 days, man. That's all that it was that we put all this together. Uh, and, and Jim, when I first met Jared, I, I have to say, I am privileged to be able to talk to a lot of CEOs, but Jared blew me away. Um, Jared is the ultimate boundaries pusher. Uh, and I could tell that in, immediately as, as I started to get to know him. And, you know, I look, as I look on the screen, I'm probably one of the oldest persons here on the screen. And Jared reminded me of our founder, Danny Thomas, because oh. Danny Thomas was this visionary and this dreamer. And, and Jared was telling me about this dream that he had about, about going to space, but also doing it with purpose. Okay. And, and, and you know, as we, we talked about uh, what our mission was like, and, you know, St. Jude has always been about kind of making the seemingly impossible possible. And that's what Jared was about. And, and St. Jude has always been about this idea of inclusion and equality. You know, we exist to make sure that all kids have equal access um, to quality specialty healthcare. So there were just so many similarities. Um, and, 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 you know, so it came together incredibly quickly. And then when Jared told us uh, the, the kind of marketing push that he was going to put behind this and told us that there was going to be a Super Bowl ad, I said to Jared, you know, the organization that I lead, which came into existence five years before St. Jude, it's 63 years old. We've never been in a Super Bowl ad. Uh, and, and I was just blown away and stunned and thought, you know, wow, what an opportunity for our brand to be front and center at the Super Bowl. And, and, and Julie, I'm so glad that you're on this call because we enjoy a wonderful relationship with the NFL. I want everybody to know that the NFL has offered our patients some of the most unique experiences uh, that they will ever, ever, ever enjoy. And probably the best one of all is the NFL draft where you allow a St. Jude patient every year to actually work with the commissioner and to make a draft pick. Uh, and, and I can tell you that our kids talk about it uh, for their entire lifetimes, truly, because we've been doing this for a number of years now. So that, that's it, Jim. There's a lot of love in the chat here on the Zoom call for your team and everything you do, Rick. Hey, I just want to go back to Jared. We glossed over this a bit. Jared, why, why St. Jude's? You could have raised $200 million for a lot of different organizations. Why St. Jude? To, um, my company, uh, Shift4 Payments, we, we've had a relationship with St. Jude for a long time. I want to say it's probably close to two decades. Um, and uh, I have gone on you know, some past aviation adventures, some, some world record flights, and did some air shows. And every time uh, you, know, you brought in a, a really worthwhile organization to, to benefit from that effort, um, you know, in the case of inspiration for, I know I've been, you know, really lucky in life and the balls bounce my way, you know, many times. And then I think about the families and the children who um, got dealt a really lousy hand in life. And uh, what they're going through is really heartbreaking. And uh, I just feel like, you know, we have to do something about that so that they do have opportunities to grow up and experience some of the things that I've been lucky enough to do. And and it's like, I am also a true believer in the SpaceX, um, you know, vision. I do think there's going to be families bouncing around on the moon and Mars someday. And that I, I really believe it could be a hundred years from now. I don't know, but we're all going to have our X-wing fighters and such. 
Um, but in order to like, you know, you know, deserve that kind of life and future, we got to deal with like some really horrific challenges we have here today. And I think St. Jude is like one of the most important organizations we could focus on right now. Now, this is the Super Bowl after party and you did an ad. Uh, so Rick and Jared, how'd you, how'd you feel about your ad? Were you happy? I've, I've done a lot of ads in my life. Some of them I'm, I'm happy with how they turn out. Some of them, I think they could have been better. How did you feel about the ad? Rick? Jared, you want to go first or you want me to? Why, why don't you go, Rick? Well, um, look, you know, we've, we've raised over $8 million already. All right. Okay. You know, we, we did $1.1 million in the 90 minutes that, that, that passed right after the ad ran. So uh, we were blown away, absolutely blown away. And the company that we used to run this, this raffle said they had never seen uh, the kind of engagement that they saw. And, you know, smaller donations were king. About 80% of those donations are $100 or less. And I know that's particularly appealing to Jared because Jared wanted to make sure that that space was accessible to everyone, uh, which we thought was really cool because the fundamental tenet of, of, of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is that this quality specialty healthcare uh, be available to everyone and at no cost. So, uh, Jared, jump in here. What do you think, man? You spent all the money and gave us all that attention and awareness and raised all that money. Well, uh, you know, like Rick said before, uh, I've never uh, been part of a Super Bowl ad creation before either. Um, and what I would say is it looks an awful lot different on the big screen than it did on, you know, all the Zoom reviews and such leading up to it. It was, it was super special. Um, I, I loved all the creative elements that went into it. Um, you know, it, it definitely gave me chills, um, even watching it during its, um, you know, its evolution process, but to see it on the screen, like it, you know, it, it was, it was pretty powerful. So yeah, I, I'm very happy with how it turned out. Very appreciative of the whole team that pulled it together. I want to bring Gary in here for a moment. Gary likes advertising that works. So I'm he, he's going to like your ad, but Gary, I want you to comment on the ad fine, but I want you to comment a little bit about St. Jude, you know, by many measures is the strongest brand in the US. So what can all the brand leaders in our audience learn from them? Well, listen, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. They're doing something remarkably more significant than all, most of us combined, right? I mean, we don't, most people here are not running organizations that are anywhere, you know. And by the way, I'm a, I love the spirit of being a communicator and a business operator and whether you sell honey or, <laughs> or, or milk or, you know, soda or tires or things of that nature, but I mean, you know, I think it's very difficult to compete with the truth, Jim. You know, I always say with marketing, um, you know, if your product isn't strong, all we're going to do is speed up everybody realizing that it's not strong. And yeah, so right. I, I think there's just a humongous delta. And I just have so much admiration. And I mean, we're all emotionally affected by versus smiling or like silly or cool, you know. So, you know, I, I think I think what... I think what, if there's anything to be taught from it, it goes back down to, and not everybody here is in a position as a CMO, but there are CEOs and things of that nature. How much can you actually affect the truth? Because I think a lot of people here, we're in the game of communicating what it is. But I think a lot of people here carry a lot of weight as a voice within their organizations. And can you push the boundaries of the truth, right? And so I think about that a lot. You know, I, I have, I have, everybody razzes me or compliments me on my energy and conviction. It's because I believe in what I do. Like whether it was a bottle of wine that I thought somebody should try instead of a Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio, or as many here know, 
a different style to market on a day-to-day basis. The energy comes from genuinely in my soul believing it. And, and knowing that this is a very cool group with a lot of great people, please let me be the first to extend a massive olive branch that if anybody here that I know extremely well or somebody that I've never met, I'll put my email in here right now. If you don't believe in what you're marketing for real, for real now, we're having human talk with each other. If you don't really believe in it, not that you're burnt out, you know, but if you don't believe in it, it's, um, it's something you should consider because this is an incredible group and there's a lot, one of the biggest reasons and some of you have DM me quietly like, I can't believe I'm in this room or thank you for having me in this room. This is a, this is a we're trying to build a lot of, Jim, you know this, we've been talking about this for a long time. We're trying mm-hmm. to build a lot of karma here and I don't yep. joke when I say, feel free to reach out and start DMing each other. Uh, I made a humongous mis- mistake my whole life until I realized it when Kobe Bryant died, which was, I enjoyed people I admire reaching out to me before I reached out to them. And I don't know if it was ego or if it was just felt nice. I can't speak to it, but I can tell you that I really regret that I didn't reach out to him because I understand. I have a relationship with, I reached out to Novak Djokovic and got to chat with him a little bit because I admire his competitive spirit. I think he's misunderstood. And I do that more. I encourage everybody off that micro story here. If you click through these nine screens right now, there's a lot of people here that you admire from afar, their work, what you've heard about it. Please, while we're jamming right now, please DM them and just say, I like what you do. Or I saw you speak once and I thought it was smart. Or I have an employee that works with me right now that worked for you or with you. And I hear great things about you. Don't miss the moments. And so I think what Jude's has is they really, really, really believe in what they do and they should. And I think what, if we can learn anything, focus on the things you most believe in if you don't have the options. And then I took it up a notch. If you don't fully, fully believe, like reach out and make some relationships here and, and, and find a thing that you do believe in. Fabulous career advice and life advice, Gary, honestly. Um, hey, Jared, I want to bring you back before we transition to our next section, you're choosing this team, which you talked about. You're going up on this expedition with three others. You're choosing the team in, a, in 19 days and your flight will be sometime by the end of the year, as far as I understand. Can you talk a little bit about the team, how you will onboard them, train them? Will they actually fly the rocket? I know you're the commander, but just a few words about the team. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, well, I, I intend to be very selfish with the controls, so I, I don't. We'll see who gets to to fly the rocket around. Um, it's uh, it's really exciting. I think it's one of the coolest parts of Inspiration Four is that we're trying to make it available to everyone because I do think it's the first step towards a world where everybody's going to be able to have opportunities like this. It's amazing, by the way, how fast things like that happen. You know, twelve years from Charles Lindbergh's solo flight across the Atlantic before commercial transatlantic service was established by Pan Am. Like these things can happen a lot quicker than, than we may all think. So on, in that spirit, we did want to make up the crew, make the crew selection uh, available to, you know, everyday people who again can be inspirational in their own right. Uh, I have met my first crew member. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, she does work at St. Jude. Uh, she is a childhood cancer survivor who, you know, chose to come back in life and help other kids, you know, uh, beat cancer as a healthcare professional. Um, and the other two, you know, were are part of this kind of national fundraising and crew selection effort on, effort on our, our mission website. Uh, once we get through the end of the month, there's going to be, uh, you know, a very quick um, uh, health and wellness check, uh, background checks, can't take an axe murderer to space. It's not a good idea. Um, yeah, and then there'll be kind of a, a more extensive uh, health screening that'll take place at UCLA, which is who SpaceX works with. And once we get through that, we will announce the, the full crew. 
and then we're going to go right into training and uh, we're going to spend a lot of time together in a uh, in a simulator that's the exact same size as dragon that's important you want to be in uncomfortable type quarters here on earth before you do it up in space and we're, we actually absolutely are following the exact same nasa curriculum i mean the the human rating of the falcon 9 and dragon system is done by nasa so you're following the same curriculum you just don't have to do some of the things that we're not doing like a spacewalk or um or docking with space station but we will do that all through the rest of the year and then we will launch uh sometime in that october 2021 time frame great great Jared, hey, I want to go back to Rick for one final thought. Rick, we're a bunch of CMOs are listening to this and marketing people and business leaders. You're a CEO and you have one of the great CMOs of the world in Emily Callahan. Can you tell us what's magic about how the two of you work? I took a chance on Emily when she was a 31-year-old uh, and made her my chief marketing officer. And it was the best business decision I have ever made, Jim. Uh, and, and I'm proud to say that. And the best thing I can do is get out of her way. Um, she's, a, she's a force of nature and, um, and she really is incredibly talented and she tells our story in such an authentic way. And that's really what I just wanted to hit on really quickly because I, I thought, Gary, you said it so beautifully, but I, I would add one more word to your advice if I, if I may be so bold. Please, sir, please. And, th and that word is authenticity. Mm -hmm. I think that people love St. Jude because our mission is so authentic. It's real. And we try to tell real stories when we're, ta we're talking to the public about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. People want to help kids, especially kids that have been dealt a, a terrible hand. But you have to be able to tell those stories in authentic ways. I know Emily and I are super excited to tell the story about this healthcare worker uh, that, that is at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital that's going to go into orbit with the commander, Mr. Isaacman, there uh, in, in just a few months. And I think the public is going to gravitate toward that. But I also think, Jared and, and, and Jim and, and Gary, that the public is going to gravitate toward that generosity seat because, you know, Jared wanted that to be emblematic of, of people giving back to a mission. There's that purpose, Gary, that you were talking about. People want to have that purpose in their life. So I'm, I think when you put all those things together uh, and then the way Emily Callahan has positioned our brand as, an, as a unifying brand, we want everyone to be welcome into this tent because cancer doesn't discriminate. Cancer affects all of us um, and we all have to remember that. And that's why your partnership with the NFL is so good. You know, as I said to Julie, opening this up, I thought it was a really feel-good season and feel-good day. So listen, we could go on and on, and I, I would love to invite Jared, you, and the whole crew on the CMO podcast when you come back to Earth. How's that? Love to do it. Thank you. That was my conversation with Jared and Rick about the Inspiration4 mission. The takeaway from this discussion was the rich, deep, partnership these two organizations have to do something that has never been done before and to set a standard for creativity in fundraising. After the break, I have another panel with some of the biggest and most innovative advertisers in the Super Bowl game. They'll be talking about their brand marketing and what's coming next. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. 
Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. With all eyes glued to the commercial breaks, this is the huge day for advertising. In fact, this might be the only time of the year where people are actually excited to see your ads. So you have to make it count. But how do you execute? In this discussion, my panelists and I will look at how they use this moment to reinforce their brand. My guests include Monica Modi, VP of Marketing for Budweiser, Todd Kaplan, VP of Marketing for PepsiCo, John Sass, VP of Advertising for Scott's miracle Grow, a first-time advertiser in the Super Bowl, Jack Hollis, SVP for Toyota, Casey Herbis, CMO of Rocket Mortgage. And lastly, Anda Ganska, the CEO of Notch, which is a content intelligence company that monitors how brands leverage their content. Now, here's my panel of discussion about the big game. Let's now get into the second half. And we have six amazing leaders that we're going to have a panel discussion with. And please keep the chats going. And I want to introduce them. Uh, very quickly and ask them all a simple question so you get to know them a bit better. M- Monica Modi with Budweiser, uh, I want to ask you, what, were your, what was your favorite non-AB InBev ad of the day? I, we were just talking about this in the um, breakout room, but my, my favorite was Oatly. Um, I, I come from a music background and I think too often we think of music so like at the last minute as marketeers and don't realize the power of it essentially making your brand and your product highly memorable. So I think that jingle, like a good old jingle for that to come back and the salience, the fact that people can sing it back now in, you know, a milk alternative category is incredible. And uh, you know, in the breakout room, I just learned that people are remixing that song now. So like oat milk is now permeating culture. So I don't know, for me, that just, I thought that that would be just as good on, on a Super Bowl Sunday in a non-COVID year as, as it is in a COVID year. So I just, I thought it was great. Jack Hollis with Toyota, come on in here. And I want, I want you to, I'm, I'm going to ask you a slightly different question. What's the ad that made you think differently about a brand? Oh wow! I think I was impressed with the uh, the, uh, the the team out of the Scotts Miracle Girl. I think they're on this call, but I, I think because I, part of it was that I, I mentioned I, I, I said a chat earlier. The um, playing into the, the current or trying to trying to take a brand that's been around, been established, and is good, and keep yourself young. You know, Travolta and the, the TikTok and trying to add that into it. It just was it was clever to me and it made me think a little bit differently about something that I thought was a pretty a pretty standard product being super young and hip and cool in a different way. I just, it stood out and it was one that when I saw it, I'm like, whoa, it didn't necessarily fit together in my mindset and it changed my mind a little bit and I, and I enjoyed it a lot. We're going to hear more about that ad in a moment. I want to bring in Anda Ganska with Notch. Notch is a content intelligence platform for brands and she's our data geek here in the round table. Anda. We're going to get you talking about the date in a moment, but what's the ad that made you laugh the hardest? Okay, on so Sunday? I 
I hope that I'm allowed to actually name an ad that didn't, it was, it was, I think the best non-Super Bowl Super Bowl ad. It aired actually during Saturday Night Live the night before. If you oh, haven't yeah. seen, if you haven't seen the Zillow.com ad, you should uh, <laughs> really see it. It is so good. I laughed so hard and it was so true. And I sent it to all my friends who are in their late thirties because they were targeting the very specific segment. And everyone was like, yep, that is me. <laughs> Todd Kaplan, a PepsiCo or halftime guy. Todd, the ad that surprised you the most. The ad that um, surprised me the most. I'd say um, um, I actually was surprised by the, uh, I actually quite liked the Paramount uh, ads that they had about climbing Mount Paramount. I thought that was, you know, just going through all the, knowing what, what would have to happen with all the rights holders to even get all that IP in one place approved um, and yet alone tell a cohesive story in a few. I thought that was, um, I thought that was pretty cool and powerful. And for them, you know, that, that's not typically what they would, would bring to bear. And I thought it was a great way to put it on the map. I loved how they kept appearing throughout the whole event, like Tide did years ago, right? Everything's a yeah. Tide ad. It was just a brilliant creative idea. And I think they captured that. All right, John Sass, we have an Ohio State Buckeye with Scott's miracle Grow and a first-time advertiser in the big game. Scott, John of Scott's, what was the most emotional ad for you? on the big day? Well, I'm going to answer that. But before I do, I'm going to need to have Jack send an email to my CEO telling him how smart we were as an advertiser in our approach this year. I really appreciate <laughs> those kind of words. Um, you know, it, what a fun time. And I know we'll get into it a little bit more being a first time advertiser. Um, the most emotional, I, without a doubt, the Toyota spot. I mean, it, it was alluded to earlier today. I think for me to just see the humanity come across in an ad, um, you know, that is just, and it's been a consistent sort of, you know, message that Toyota has done in the past. It, it just was fantastic. And then Casey Herbis with Rocket Mortgage, who's two ads with Tracy Morgan, won the number one and number two top spots on the USA Today ad meter. Casey, your third favorite ad. Um, you know, there were a few, actually. There's a there's a spot, uh, the Jimmy John's, which introduced the sandwich czar, if you will. Actually, I don't know the CMO. I actually looked him up on LinkedIn yesterday. And because I love how in this outreach, I love how you said, like, email my CEO. I ask anybody email my CEO, too, because no matter how successful you think you are, there's always that that Monday morning quarterbacking that takes place. But I really love the Jimmy John's, the long form. I saw the longer form. I don't think they ran the true long form online uh, on the game, but I think they're really onto something there with a really interesting character. You know, Brad Garrett, I thought came across really well and you could, you could tell some really unique storytelling that can take place offline, uh, you know, off linear space. And so that for me was uh, one I really enjoyed. And uh, that was our, these were the introductions. So this is our panel. And I want to go to you first. And your company is data rich with information and insights about brands. So what are two or three insights or observations about this year's Super Bowl environment, commercials, tone that you can share with our listeners and well, set the, the stage thing, for the panel? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and thank you to the Vayner team for organizing this. I think it's only the Vayner team that could create a forum where we talk about space, career advice, Super Bowl, uh, and data all in one session. So uh, I love that. So um, look, I think, I think the most important missing piece for me, um, even as we've continued in the conversation is, um, you know, we talk about what ads we liked and what ads we didn't like. We talk about social mentions, but, 
you know, what's really going to drive those business outcomes. And when you talk, you know, Gary talks about doing something you're passionate about and believe in. I really believe that you should and you can connect content outcomes, which is really what the definition of a content intelligence platform is. So that's my, I'd say my, my constant question about the Super Bowl is how do you connect it to outcomes? Um, I think there, it's interesting there to, to say that out of the 50 ads, only 14 had a CTA. Um, and there are some ads in particular where the brand was barely mentioned. And so that's just, it begs the question that I think uh, it would be a good one to answer with your data hat on. The second point, which is less about the content, but I really wanted to make it is I was looking at all the companies that were advertising this year. And I realized that a vast uh, number of them were actually technology companies. And I remember not being able to kind of see the same pattern last year. So I wanted to look at the data and see when's the last time there were that many technology companies in the Super Bowl. And I realized the last time was what I'm calling the dot-com Super Bowl. So in the year 2000, 31.5% of the brands that advertised were technology companies. So dot-coms, um, epidemic.com was one of them, by the way, pets.com, uh, all the dot-coms. And essentially the vast majority of these companies went out of business by the end of that year. I then looked to see, was there an evolution, right? Like did technology companies continue investing? And what I found was that in 2010, only 16% of the ads were uh, technology companies. And then in 2020, only 6% were technology companies, which was really interesting. The, the trend was downwards. And then in this year, 32% of the companies that advertise were technology companies. So it's interesting. It kind of begs the question of what does that mean? And the companies that advertise were, you know, startups that have recently raised a ton of money, like um, Klarna and Robinhood is a big one that we, we've talked about a lot lately. Uh, Fiverr, um, but also larger companies like Amazon and Uber. So yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens to these companies. Are we in a similar spiral where there's been an overinvestment in technology that led to an overinvestment in advertising, or is it a signal for something else? So, and uh, you're giving us financial advice here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, if you want that, I can do a separate call. Okay, with you guys. very good. What, my, my, what Whatever advice Anna gives, we should just take blindly. Oh, that's my. I would say invest in enterprise software companies. Those are the most stable ones that, and and the fastest growing actually that you can invest in. All right, John, you're the rookie here with Scotts. You didn't decide. Well, from what I understand, you didn't decide to do the Super Bowl spot until after Thanksgiving. That's, that's right. late. That's late. Yeah. So so uh, why did you decide to make the leap? Was it controversial inside the company? And I know well, you, you know, work. I know you work with Gary's team on this, so I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Yeah, we did. Uh, I guess when you when you've never done a Super Bowl commercial before, I'm not sure if we were late or early uh, in the whole process. But you know, for us, you know, our story probably starts last spring. Uh, obviously, when when COVID hit and everybody came home, uh, and we're sort of had to, to stay at home. You know, one of the real simple like sort of things that we started to really rally around was the idea of being home doesn't mean you have to be inside. And for us, what we recognize with our business is the backyard became the sort of epicenter of how we lived our lives for the better part of the past year. And, you know, we had such a great momentum for our business. Um, unfortunately, because of the situation of being home, people just needed to be outside in the fresh air and, and the, the backyard became you know, it was the work from home office. It was the classroom. It was the movie theater, the dining room table. It was the fitness center, the workout gym, you know, everything to us. And so, 
as we saw that momentum carry what typically is a seasonal business of you know spring lawn and garden it just continued and the energy and momentum it picked up over the course of the summer and then into the fall and for us you know when we had our foot on the gas pedal we, we just didn't want to take it off and i think you know as we were kind of living in the moment but trying not to be too far out in front when it got to right around thanksgiving early december you know, you kind of look at what's coming around the corner and you had this perfect opportunity for our brands to be on the biggest stage and the biggest night. And it, it, it honestly became a pretty easy conversation to have um, because the momentum just carried us right into the decision. Hey, Gary, uh, is John a good client? No. <laughs> John's a great client from the standpoint of their whole team. You know, I think one of the things that I'm proud of kind of listening to the story is I think the Super Bowl opportunity was also a little bit earned. You know, we started getting to, a, you know, we have a very unique situation with Scott's. We, we have a 1957 agency relationship. We have the creative and media digital and above the line across the board. Something that I think is going to be a future uh, reality for many people on this call. I think accountability is something that excites me. You know, and and so I think what was interesting was the COVID factor that SAS speaks to is very real, but we had the luxury of going into this new relationship in October of 2019, which is historically off season for the brand. But we spoke a lot, you know, I think people have a sense of our energy at Vayner. We had a lot of hyperbole and confidence that we could do things between October and spring and we were able to put those wins on the board against business results with media and creative together against the retail situations, which I think really gained confidence even from October. We, we had confidence. We weren't doing all the functions at the, at, at, with that brand prior to October 1st, but there was clearly enough that we did in the first year that had SAS and the team believe that it was the right move to go full throttle with us. Then we continued that with aggressiveness from October 1st to let's say close to Thanksgiving, I think I think the at bat was earned from the CEO down, which I think is a real testament. Look, we we have a very strong point of view, but we're an agency. We're at the mercy of the client. So I would argue that SAS and team are all-time clients because they've called our bluff and have benefited financially from a business standpoint, something that a ton of people on this call have not been able to do or find ways to do, and something that is hard to do for any scenario. And something that I do think, again, will become more of the future. I, I, I want Wyden to win more media and creative business. I want, mm -hmm. you know, Leo Burnett and Starcom to come back together because I think a lot of people on this call deserve accountability instead of this. So, yeah. yes, they were, they're, they're very great that way. And we had a lot of things to stand up. You know, we, we wanted first party data. We had a cell phone number up the whole 30 seconds. Yep. We're, we're going to use that. And as I think, you Smart. know, and to say all these smart stuff, and I was kind of looking at faces, hoping they didn't gloss over. You can't have so, I can't agree with her more when she talks. How, how can you not show the brand at all? Like, what are we doing here? Like you're yeah. making famous people more famous and you're getting nothing. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're not doing enough yeah. contact. So I think the lack of practicality is what, you know, where I go with that, Jim. Yeah, actually the Tide ad, I think Tide should have been on the ad more. They didn't have the product payoff as well as they could have. So, so hey, I want to go to Monica at Budweiser, which is, hey, the quintessential Super Bowl brand, but you didn't advertise this year, but you got more publicity than any year probably in the history of the Super Bowl. So take us a little bit behind the scenes on the decision not to advertise. You got a lot of positive publicity for that. 
So tell us why and some of your leadership insights in making that call and how you feel about it right now. Well, for us, this, this would have, this is essentially the fifth Super Bowl that I've done in a row. This is the digital one. Um, and we typically always try and start earlier and earlier each year so that we're not starting in November like John did, which sometimes it happens. And then you're sprinting and working on the holidays. So yeah, 2020, we started back in April. Um, and we had a spot that we love and we were ready to go shoot. And um, it was like the most ahead we had ever been. Um, and then in November, when we learned that the FDA had approved uh, vaccine distribution um, and the vaccines here in the U.S., we really, we really realized that you know this could be another chapter in what we had already been doing in 2020, which was using the power of our scale, the fact that we are ingrained in American DNA um, to actually help during during COVID. So we had done a series of things during 2020. So starting when the the pandemic first struck, there was a big blood shortage. So we did a whole shifting of our sports media sponsorship dollars to help facilitate blood drives for the Red Cross. So that was probably the most ambitious and um, I would say thing with senior management that took the amount of more, most amount of conversations. No one disagreed with the intention. It was more like, how are we gonna do this? Um, and then we continued to do that every, almost every two months. Then. Two months later, you quickly realize the pandemic creates a big surge of um, mental health issues for people because they're isolating. So we, again, uh, pulled together resources to help people uh, have knowledge of the Salvation Army mental health housing. So we did that over the course of a few different phases during COVID. So when the opportunity presented itself to yet again help in November, the conversation actually internally was very easy. Surprisingly, I think people would externally think that it would have been tough. It was actually very easy. We knew it was the right thing to do. It was very quick. Um, and then John, like John, from November to till we launched, you know, we were pulling it together to figure out, okay, what's that right message to lift people's spirits. So we we pivoted, created a whole other spot called Bigger Picture, but then ultimately letting the people of America know that we will not be showing up on game day because we also acknowledge that the Super Bowl is very important. Um, we do have rich heritage in it. It's not something that we are abandoning. It's a one year thing. Um, so we needed to let the, the people know. And, and we brought Clydesdales to the people on a secondhand experience, second screen experience. So that's how we got to that decision. Well, SNL did a nice ad for you the night before anyway. We saw that, we yeah. saw that. Yeah. So, well, well done. And and by the way, I think I thought your corporate ad was a beautiful one about your culture and about the insights about having a beer together. I, I just I watched it with my daughter and we had a beer together. Yeah, absolutely. I think the spirit of that is we within the four walls of our company are obsessed with beer. And I think a lot of us sometimes forget that we're even selling beer because we are so in love with all the moments around it. Um, so it is I felt, you know, something that really brought to the people the essence of what sits within the four walls of our company and that it's, it's really about those moments surrounding beer. Todd at Pepsi, 10th year doing the halftime show. Did you hang out with the weekend after the show? We were all being very socially distant and responsible. We might be the only people in Tampa being <laughs> and responsible, to be honest. But, uh, Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So Todd, tell us about the, this, this year uh, and what, what leadership lesson you took away from thinking about the right tone, the right talent, and the right kind of you know, participation in the Super Bowl 2021. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, like a lot of other people have talked about, this year has been all about agility, the pivot, insert, whatever word you want there. And, um, you know, and it's been also just a a great, I think, equalizer from a leadership standpoint. We're really getting to know our teams inside and out, seeing everybody at home, their dogs, their kids, all that stuff. Um, And so it's, it's really been a unique year where I think we've all come really close together and been able with our agency partners as well to be quick and agile with how we're doing a lot of uh, decisions and things we made. And so as we were gearing up for Super Bowl, you know, we decided, you know, to say, hey, you know what, we we don't need to, to do a spot this year if we can actually do more with the halftime show. And so that was actually a big push we wanted to do is as a brand, you know, we're not a brand that really has an awareness issue. It's really about cultural relevance, share a voice we're trying to gain each time. And, um, you know, we have this great history of being associated with the Super Bowl, much like uh, Anheuser-Busch, like you just heard. And actually, a lot of that heritage was built here on this Zoom from uh, Don Hudson. You can see, uh, you know, who used to work at Pepsi with uh, the Cindy Crawford spot and Britney Spears and all these iconic things that, uh, you know, now we're keeping the torch moving forward. And so the halftime show for us has been a really great, um, a great, you know, asset for us as you think of our 10th year and you think of a brand around pop culture, music, sports, the epicenter. Um, it's really the world's largest stage where, you know, you think about 100 million viewers um, that would be the equivalent of performing to 5,000 sold out MSGs at the same time, you know, I mean, with the pressure for these artists. And so trying to figure out what to do in a COVID environment with that, we really had a big shift and we pivoted to say, you know what, rather than putting all our effort around the 30 seconds that we're paying to advertise on, why don't we focus on the 12 minutes we have in the middle of the game and do a whole lot more pre, during, before, and after. So we really shifted those 12 minutes to a whole six week campaign with, you know, it was on all our packaging and we had TV spots through the playoffs and throughout and really just drove a ton of, um, you know, relevance and, and connection with fans. We're ultimately on game day. You know, we had 52% brand share of voice, which is just insane when, you know, we were looking at the metrics saying like, are these, are these numbers right? But we're, we're just ecstatic with how we, and we did it all without a spot. So uh, we're, we're happy with how it all came together for sure. Todd, over 10 years, if you can answer this in about 30 seconds, what have you learned about how this helps build your brand, your company, your organization? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a few things. I think from an equity standpoint, it's just continuing to reinforce our role in you know, music, pop culture, and just kind of connect on a more emotional level uh, with consumers on this, this day uh, every year. It's also, when you think about our company, um, it's a moment of pride. It's a time when, you know, our frontline employees, our finance people, people in all different factions are getting text messages from the friend, just like anyone who advertises on the Super Bowl. I'm sure all your companies are getting, you know, the recognition internally and all that. And it's just a great proud moment for us as a, as a brand. All right. I want to turn to Jack Hollis at Toyota. Jack, your ad took my breath away. It's the only ad that made me cry. I mean, a lot of them made me feel good and feel poignant. And I'm not sure this brand would have done that kind of work five, seven, eight years ago. So what's changed at Toyota to create more daring, emotional, provocative work? Jim, thanks. Because I know the first time that we talked about it, uh, put it on, it, it made me cry. The, the storyboard made me cry. Um, Jessica Long is an amazing person. I'll tell you what's changed, I think, is as we, uh, Akio Toyota, multiple years ago, about seven or eight years ago, talked about this idea of no more boring cars. It was this idea of a more, more emotional vehicles in themselves. 
And about five years ago, we made that decision to move a company from really an automotive company to a mobility company. You know, whether that mobility is, you know, going across town or maybe just going across the room, right? It was, what is, what is that about? And me as a person, those of you I've got to know, I'm a people first. And everything's about people. I love people. The business is great. Return on investment is important. But what I love is lifting people up. And I think what's critical about that is being able to partner with like a Jessica, to partner with a person with super abilities. Not, they're not disabilities. They, if you meet any one of them, they're super abilities. And to be able to promote that and mobility and what we're doing, I think the emotion and what we're doing, trying to do is from my own heart that I want to sell cars to people because it's a good decision, but I want to sell cars because they just love the brand. They love to be a part of a company that is trying to expand with everybody. And you talk about inclusiveness, the most underserved community in the entire U.S. is people with disabilities or super abilities. And we were proud to do that. And I just, um, I think when you get into a true story, you sell it as that's it. Don't try to do more with it than it is. It does touch you here. And now it's what we want an expansion of our brand. Obviously, we don't need the awareness, but we need the expansion of what that, that brand stands for. And um, just really, really, really proud of the team of putting people first. Yeah, no, it's amazing. All right, we're, Casey at Rocket Mortgage, bring it home. You know, what's your advice to others who want to break through like you just did at the Super Bowl, number one and two spots with consumers? Yeah, and thanks, uh, Jim. You know, for you know, I look back, this year was, I was fortunate. This was the sixth Super Bowl campaign. I've been fortunate to work on I, I used to work for Olivier Francois from Chrysler FCA, and we did some really interesting work then. And I learned a lot about storytelling there. And then since joining Rocket Mortgage, this was our fourth Super Bowl commercial. Uh, this was the third, the third round of Super Bowls I've been blessed to be part of. And we've learned a lot over the time. Uh, three years ago, we did our campaign with Keegan-Michael Key, and we saw how witty humor and not having a star just for having the star, but for having the star execute on the brand idea can carry through. We did that a few years ago with, with Keegan-Michael Key, and last year, you know, totally unexpected, and we don't release our commercials beforehand. That's more of a personal a personal thing for me. I, you know, whether it's right or wrong remains to be seen, but we wanted to keep the covers closed on Jason Momoa last year. And I think it was unexpected to see this six foot four, 240 pound, you know, behemoth of a man all of a sudden stripped down to, you know, the same six, four, about 120 pounds. So unexpected, but it was using, utilizing his character, if you will, his brand to help deliver upon a brand idea. And when we started looking at whether, you know, like everyone else here, we asked ourselves, is it right to be in the Super Bowl in 21? For all those same reasons, we probably had those discussions. So we started our creative process back in June and July. And as we looked at the ideas, we're an in-house agency, but we will go outside and work with creative shops because if you're going to go in the Super Bowl, you got to make sure you have the right idea. And as we started looking at that, the business environment, you know, it gave us the confidence, you know, 2020 was such a big year for home ownership. And we see how much home, much like, you know, you were talking about with Scott's girl, like home means more to Americans than ever before. And home sales are strong in 20, we expect them in 21. So it gave us the confidence to be in the game. And we know Americans like choice. And so that gave us the confidence to do the second spot. So creatively, as, the, as we saw the creative idea early on, I leaned back and the Zoom went off and I leaned back and the, and the team stayed on. And I was like, holy shit, we might have this one. And very early. And so we started working it and I had Tracy in there. And along the process, we reached out to Tracy 
because a lot of the celebrities, as you know, they've got, you know, the really the A-listers have probably a half a dozen scripts in front of them. It's not always going to be about the money. The money is certainly nice, but they also don't want to put their brand, you know, out that maybe, you know, doesn't help elevate, you know, their projects. I mean, and so, you know, Tracy loved it and he came on board with us and really started working. It wasn't like, what is the script? What do I need to be there? We did several Zoom meetings with him and his writing team where he took our scripts and gave us feedback. Of course, he wasn't going to mess with the rock and mortgage part, but he wanted to make sure that we nailed the Tracy part, right? And how do you bring those two brands together? And some of that magic also happens on set where, you know, every take it's like, all right, and working with a great director, how do you get more out of the town? How do you let them riff a little bit? They're not going to mess up your brand. That's your job to make sure your brand's protected. But how can you make sure their brand comes out? So when you get into the edit room, it's like the best of both worlds. Like it's authentic to Tracy and his voice and his brand and delivery. And our brand, you know, comes along. And so, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, as I've shared, it, watching a Super Bowl commercial is the worst 60, 30 or 60 or 120, depending on who you are, uh, of your career. And as soon as that stops and moves to the next spot, it's this weird, empty feeling. And then you just don't know, right? And you're, <laughs> yeah. hopping, you're hopping on to every second, third, fourth screen you have. And you're watching, you know, Ad Week, Ad Age, Agency Spy, Twitter, you know, TikTok. People are, you know, are they mocking you? You know, what does that sentiment look like? And you go to bed, you're like, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And, you know, and um, either way. I oh, love it. I'm ready it. to take a break, but I'm thinking already about next year. We're going to start earlier this year. I don't have the stomach to wait till November, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like it, it's, we're going to start early this year. But inevitably, we don't wait. We wait until the last second to flip on the lights. Like, and we usually shoot right around the holidays. I put it in the chat. This year, we shot actually right after New Year's, and it was a race to the finish. I mean, it was a seven day shoot. 14, uh, 18 vignettes, 14 locations with heavy CGI and. We literally, I didn't, we didn't ship the spot till 3 a.m. on Saturday. So it was fresh. That's, that's the great it's thing about fresh. creativity, it's, it's, right? At this point, you got to press go and, you know, hope for the best. So, Anda, I want to bring you back in here. Anda, what's, what's one question that I should be asking this group? So you throw the, que- you throw the question, you throw the question out and maybe I'll pick who will answer it. I, I was just thinking about what Casey said, but you don't have to pick him if you don't want to. Um, I uh, he mentioned, you know, you're looking at four different screens. You go to bed, you don't know, you don't know, you know, is it gonna, is it gonna work? Like ultimately, like really though, you know, what is it down to? Is it and how do you how do you quantify? Because I'm sure there's, it's not just the business outcome. I'm sure it's also what does the CEO think, right? I think the guy from I can't remember your name from Scott's Miracle Grow. Sorry about that. John. But uh, he, John, right? He mentioned, um, you know, email the CEO. Like, how? What are the inputs for marketers that ultimately allow you to do another ad next year and next year and next year? Well, I, you know, can maybe I I'll talk to that? Monica. She's got Budweiser and, and uh, Jim, Jim. Can I yeah. jump in on this? Yeah, one? Gary, I'm going to. Yeah, sure, jump. There is a better way to suffocate business results and not just arbitrary, subjective brand variables. There just is. The internet exists. There's there's just a lot going on. And I, I listen. I believe in brand and marketing more than anything. So I'm not asking for people to run DR spots in the Super Bowl, but I think that. And this energy is exactly on point, which is, you know, I, 
listening to Casey, first of all, Casey's whole situation from clothing to setting has me super fired up. I just want everybody to know that. I think, enjoying- is that a fake setting? Yeah, I feel like that's a fake setting. No, no? It's, it, it's real. Actually, we have an in-house production studio uh, about a block. Beautiful. Gary's been to our offices, but um, we have a little production studio about two blocks away with our in-house agency. And so I'm just glad to be, you know, I, I had to dig this out of the closet today, You're trust me. Brother. Anyway, the fact that Casey was saying things like looking at Adweek and Agency Spy, I'm like, his 39 seconds or a minute four on that is just like, I don't want that for him. Like that's, that was like literally what went through my body. And so I think, I don't know. I, I think that I'm hoping that business results, you know, being, cre- I don't think you have to give up creativity to create suffocated business variables. And I think that's a responsibility of the community to think more about. I really am passionate about that. I think there's a lot to, a lot to think about in that framework. I really believe that. Okay, I wanna do, this is gonna be really a rapid fire. I want all of our guests to put into one sentence your lesson for evoking tremendous creativity from your organization to do the kind of work that you were doing. And Gary, you're gonna be included in this. So one sentence about evoking creativity. You're all great leaders on this roundtable. You do great work. So I'm gonna start with John. Very simply, it takes a village. I think for us, certainly something like the Super Bowl and the way we executed it with our, um, you know, the sweeps component, it takes us so many people in the organization, IT, marketing, sales, legal, HR, supply chain, to do it right, include anybody and everybody. It's a fantastic journey and I think it'll pay off in the end. Monica. This might be a compound sentence. It might be two in one. I'm not sure. A semicolon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never known how to use those properly, by the way. Um, for me, it's it's not, if, if it doesn't make you a little uncomfortable, if it doesn't make people within your company challenge the traditions here, then it, it's not worth doing. In a world where there is so much creativity out there all the time, it's gotta make you feel a little uncomfortable. Jack, Toyota. Two words, listen more. Beautiful. Todd at Pepsi. I'd say for me, the, uh, the best ideas start with no. Um, there's so many people in roadblocks in a big organization that just get in the way. And uh, almost to Monica's point, that's how you know you're on the right track uh, when you start making people really uncomfortable and take no as a request for more information. And uh I would say the only thing that matters is the customer and the rest is noise. Casey, Rocket Mortgage. You know, for me, I don't, I don't care how many people are around the table, whether it's in-house agency or agency partners. Uh, we've, got, we've got a mantra I utilize is one team, one goal, and let's do some epic shit. Julie at the NFL. Don't tell me about the flood, build an arc. Figure it out. Come solutions oriented. And Gary, come on, bring us home. This is not a platform to put out the fact that we all wish we could make movies and television. This is business, it matters. Well, I wanna thank all of you for this wonderful, inspiring discussion. And I want you also to know that this will be on the CMO podcast tomorrow morning. 
So we're going to work all night to make this into a really fun episode, and it's going to be hugely inspiring to so many people. So thanks for what you do every day. Thanks for the inspiration. And I think thanks for a really uplifting day for all of America on Sunday and, and all the activation that's following that, by the way, because I know it's not once and done. That was my three-part discussion about Super Bowl 2021. Two major lessons or takeaways to think about. The first one, how a strong purpose drives creativity and innovation. Look at what we heard about the St. Jude's partnership with Shift4 Payments, the Toyota ad, the Jeep ad. Some of the best creativity we saw during the Super Bowl begins with a strong purpose. A strong purpose drives creativity and innovation. The question for you is, is your purpose eliciting the kind of creativity that will grow your business and attract talent? Second lesson, the strongest ads really were about the company's culture. Advertising that shares with your consumers and your employees what's special about your culture builds the brand and builds your business. AB InBev's ad about having a beer, Toyota's remarkable ad, WeatherTech's advertising is all about their culture and it's a growing brand. So think about when you create advertising, is it sharing a statement about the kind of culture you are creating? That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.